we decided, actually, Juliet, this is no longer Urmenta Radio. This is the first episode of Urmenta Rodeo. And, um, <laughs> oh. yeah, it's a whole new thing. We're going to have a Western theme. Awesome. <laughs> right, I'm saddling up. You are listening to Urmenta Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today, we're chatting with Juliet Blankaspor. Juliet is a card-carrying plant geek who channels her plant obsessions through writing, photography, and herb gardening. She's been sharing her passion for plants for over 25 years and founded the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine in 2007. Juliet has steered the school's focus towards bioregional herbalism from its onset and is now shepherding it towards holistic herbalism and social justice. Her new book, The Healing Garden, Cultivating and Handcrafting Herbal Remedies is a detailed herbal reference, decadent cookbook, and garden manual all in one. You can visit Juliet at chestnutherbs.com. Juliet, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's so good to be here. I'm just <laughs> thrilled to be talking with the oh, two of you today, and this you. is my first podcast <gasps> what? ever so what? It's really what awesome an honor to be sharing that with y'all oh, oh my god this is this is an honor this is amazing thank you for thank you for choosing thank you for choosing us mm. <laughs> yes i'm so excited to reason. get to talk yes. to you <laughs> so this okay. is your first rodeo your yes. rodeo. rodeo. <laughs> 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 so, so Ju- Julia, when I when I think about your herbal path, um, you have a, your degree in botany, the the schools you've attended, the several schools, the many businesses you've run. I can't help wonder, like, what initially drew you to healing herbs? Yeah, so that really goes back to when I was twelve, and I contracted mono like a lot of young people do when they first start kissing (laughs) and um so I got a really bad case and I was really sick really tired missed a tennis school my dad took me to the doctor and the doctor was like oh there's nothing we can do and I thought I was just at the time I was reading Clan of the Cave Bear that had Hmm. just come out and that was like the first time I had been exposed to the idea of plant medicine and herbs. And I thought, I think there's always something you can do to give ease. Like it was, you know, I was introduced to the idea in that book and also a couple other books I had read about old time Appalachia and how Mm -hmm. people used plants for medicine. But just in my gut, I just knew, okay, there's some kind of food or herb that could give ease. But that was in the 80s. And, you know, that, you know, back then it was go to the library and find information was the only way. So I didn't really know how to take action on that. But that sort of planted the seed, actually. And it was kind of the whole, like, edifice of the grown-up world like of of adults really knowing what was happening and and being in charge sort of all crumbled for me at once at that time and like even just my feelings about government and education and mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, I was like oh these big people don't really necessarily have it figured out and then when I was in college in Florida I was studying languages 
And that, you know, I think that was sort of like my path by default because it's languages and words come really easy to me. And I was fluent in French from being an exchange student in high school. So I sort of fell into that, but was having um, an awakening at that time around like environmentalism and just what I wanted for my life in the future and how I felt about the earth. And I was actually having a psychedelic journey and I had a dragonfly come up to me and tell me in no uncertain terms that I was to study plants. And it was, I've never had such a strong message since. And (laughs) I just, yeah, decided to follow it. I went, I went to college the next day and I was like, okay. And when I was like, what do I have to do to study botany? And they're like, you have to take calculus and physics. And I was like, disheartened, sort of had Mm -hmm. my like head between my knees. And Mm. I, but I was under this beautiful grove of crepe myrtle trees and they have, if anyone has seen them, they have the most beautiful bark. It's just so beautifully textured and sensual. And I just, I just looked at those crepe myrtles and they just really, I had another really strong message. They said, okay, you, you have to do it whether or not you want to do physics or calculus is your path. And wow. yeah, so that's what got me started a dragonfly and the crepe myrtles and mono. Wow. And so once you started studying botany, were you approaching it from this herbalist lens or were you just kind of diving into it, just trying to be a sponge and soak up as much plant information as possible? Well, the message that I got was to study plants and Mm -hmm. not necessarily herbalism or herbal medicine. And so I was very interested in herbalism, but my path really started with a love of plants, like Mm -hmm. so many herbalists. You know, I think a lot of us come into the craft either through a health scare concern or just being interested in natural medicine, but a lot of us come in through the plants and I was definitely one of those. And so my teachers, my professors, they didn't, you know, this is in the 80s, they didn't really know anything about herbal medicine. So it was Mm -hmm. really kind of like until I found the first herbalist, Mm -hmm. it was really up to me to like put the pieces together. So I would like learn, okay, this is bayberry, this is Mirica serifera, that was its scientific name then. And then I would go home and I would, I mean, Mm -hmm. I really had like two or three herb books that were not, it was not easy to get books back then. And -hmm. I would learn what is bayberry good for and then just like figure out how to harvest it and start using it. And that was all until I found a teacher. Now I do want to say like for the newcomers out there that you don't want to just experiment with unknown plants, that this was really (laughs) like, these were plants that I knew for sure of their identity. Mm. Um, But yeah, that was kind of how I got it started until I found my first teachers. Wow. And, and, and when, and until you found the first teachers, it was more just like, I'm really interested in plants. I'm going outside. Are you journaling, making like an herbarium? Were you like, what were you doing to like in the field to learn? Like to, they just going out with field guides and just spending time. What did that look like? 
Yeah. So I, in the early days, kept these really detailed plant journals and Mm -hmm. I would like draw the new plants I met and then also kind of how to keep them, keep track of them, especially, you know, as in, because I didn't grow up knowing plants, Mm -hmm. I think this is a really good thing to remember for anyone that's coming into herbalism or is new to plants. It can be a little overwhelming. The plants can be, feel really hard to keep track of. And I just remember that like kind of frustration. And so the journaling really helped me to keep track of plants and also seasonality. And then I would write down information about plants. And I would also do that on, like if I was making medicine, I learned how to make medicine mostly from books and just from doing it. And I did have a mentor who I worked for, Gloria Starita, and she, I helped her grow herbs and shiitake logs, and she had a herbal business, and she really encouraged me to get going on starting my first herbal business. But so I would write on the jars of dried herbs what the herbs were good for. I would write on the tincture labels, Mm. and so... And also, I love flashcards. <laughs> and, you know, that's like pre-cell phone. So in all those like little random moments that we all have, and we had back then plenty, I would just pull out my flashcards. And so oh my I... Gosh. What did you put on the flashcards? What did you put on the... I would put herbal actions. Mm-hmm. I would put plants. I would put the name of plants and then what they're used for. I would, that's how I learned scientific names, plant families. So things like that. So cool. Gosh, you did say you were a card carrying plant geek. So. Yes, I was. And I like, this is a good trick. If you're into flashcards, you like yes. go up to an unsuspecting friend or family member and you're like, do you want to play cards? Hmm. They're like, yeah. And then you pull out your flashcards. <laughs> Got them. I, I am, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just amazed that like that you were making the remedies from the books. I remember in the early nineties, you know, like getting, uh, I think maybe new holistic herbal. Mm, Um, There there was another, there was another one too. I had these and they wanted to have really pretty pictures and I'm going through it and I love the pictures, but I could never get myself to make the remedy. Like there, like I didn't know anybody who did this and Mm -hmm. I just didn't know if I could trust it. You know, like, or exactly how to do it. Am I doing like, I just had too many, you know, so crossing that bridge, like I almost like it took me, it took me meeting a, a teacher, you know, at a, mm-hmm. at a, at a conference to mm-hmm. show me that that's how I learn. But that's very brave of you to dive in and just being like, I'm going to make the. Did they work the remedies you gave for the books? <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, and I think. John, that's probably a more sensible approach. I think he felt like (laughs) I was just very, you know, I just was really determined and just really wanted to learn. And I really couldn't find a teacher in my area where I I was in Gainesville, Florida. And, you know, back then to even find an herb school, Paul Bergner had, you could like, send him a self-addressed stamped envelope, which I bet a lot of your young listeners won't even like know what that was. Tara definitely doesn't. (laughs) 
so you so you would address an envelope to yourself, put a stamp on it. You would send a dollar, a physical dollar, in the mail to Paul Bergner, and he would send you a list of herb schools and their phone numbers and addresses. Oh my gosh! I still incredible. do that with Paul. I'm always sending him dollars in the mail. I mean, I mean, I saw him at a conference last year, and he was like, "John, like, why do you keep sending me a dollar in an envelope?" Like, Juliet said it was a good idea. <laughs> Well, I just really appreciated that service that he was offering, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that those, me- those first medicines I made, they were potent. I mean, they were, especially the, because the herbs that I dried, they were homegrown wow. or gathered. And so they were really potent. I mean, I didn't even really figure out that you could just order herbs Mm-hmm. until much later in my journey. And I was mm-hmm. just like, what? And they just come to your door. <laughs> so, wow. So were were you knew... harvesting them in Florida? Like when yeah, you were that? Uh-huh. in Canesville? Yeah. Wow. What were, what were a couple that you liked harvesting? What was there? Like bayberry, the mm-hmm. root bark of bayberry. And that was really cool to discover that roots had bark. Um, Monarda, there's oh. a Monarda punctata sported, spotted horseman that grows wild throughout Florida. It's related to bee bomb or wild bergamot. That's really like a very spicy bee bomb. Mm. Um, and then chickweed and cleavers grow down there, saw palmetto, and then just pine tops and passionflower, honeysuckle. There's a ton of Lanistra japonica. So I learned about using that and use that a lot in medicine. And I started out making folkloric tinctures. And then when I finally mm. went to herb school, Seven Sung, I learned how to make a weight to volume oh. tincture. Mm-hmm. All that must have been something. So you went first to, was Seven Song one of your first mentors that you learned? He's my first teacher. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, um, what a great first teacher. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I met him at rainbow gatherings Mm -hmm. and he, yeah, I first met him. He was, I had this, I had this like really, (laughs) this really fun boyfriend (laughs) and he had gotten cut. Oh, we got lost in the woods and he had gotten some cuts and seven song treated him. And I just remember how funny he was and mm. I, and also uh, that uh. you know i was already had my herbal my tincture business when i met him and had my botany degree but seven song who doesn't even have you know he doesn't have a high school degree as a gd but for mm. those of you who don't have formal education you do you don't need a formal education to really go deep with the plants and herbal mm-hmm. medicine so no. seven song knew way more about plants and botany than i did and so he, and he was so funny. And so yeah. I just picked him as my first teacher and I'm so glad I did. You know, you know he made me go to a rainbow gathering once and um, <laughs> we were recording a course and uh, uh, it was amazing. And you're right. There were like, there were pretty much 90% of the people had foot injuries that were coming mm, in because they're yes. running around barefoot in the Northwest forest. And that was That'll such a fascinating experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was amazing to, to learn in that environment. So that's, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Juliet, I'm curious, you're talking about some of these plants that you 
were harvesting. And you also mentioned that you were gardening and growing some of these plants. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, how did you get into gardening? Was that something that started like in your family from a young age? Or did that, did, you know, that really flourish as you went into your botany path? Yeah, I wish I could say that it started with my parents, but it didn't. My my grandpa was like a, a backyard. He was like a homesteader. He was a banker in New York City, but he had a little farm in uh, Long Island and and raised chickens and ducks and all kinds of food. And he really tried to get me into plants, wow. but it didn't work. I just was <laughs> like, wanted nothing to do with gardening. I mean, when they paid me, I would go out there, but they had to bribe me or pay me. (laughs) Incredible. And and, um, yeah, now my daughter's the same with me, but, um, and my dad is really into gardening too. He's got a beautiful landscape and then his family, they're farmers, they're Dutch farmers. And then now they, and then they're, were farmers in Iowa. So I did not come to it honestly. (laughs) <laughs> and um, so is really around the same time of the awakening that I decided I really wanted to learn how to garden. And I met some, I met a bunch of young people in college who were into organic gardening and plants. And, you know, I just was like, how do I start a garden? And my friend had a shovel and she showed me the compost pile and the, the compost that was finished. And she was like, and you need to put some manure in there too. Mm-hmm. And I and some lime, and I was like, okay. And I just like literally did it. I made this like circle garden in our backyard in the sunniest spot, and that garden was such a flop. But <laughs> I mean, it was like I don't I don't think I harvested anything from it. Uh-huh. But like weirdly enough, in my mind, I was like, I'm a gardener now, yes. and like it didn't. I I think the fear of failure can be so much worse than actually failing at something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like once I failed, I gave myself permission to keep trying and learning and then I did I took there was I I can't believe it in the 1990 there was an organic gardening class at the University of Florida so I took that and wow I learned so much in that class. And then I met my then partner and he had grown up farming and gardening in Virginia and he taught me a lot. And then I just, yeah, learned through doing, through trial and error and the other people who taught me. Did you like, when you were starting that garden, were you trying to start small or did you have this giant vision? Like, I'm going to make this big herb garden. Yeah, no, I don't think I had like a super big vision. That garden wasn't very big, but the the next garden that I had, that was somewhere where I lived for many years. And that was actually an, it was in an established area. And so, and it was in a community house. So we all shared mm-hmm. the responsibilities. So, but that is one thing I think that is a like recipe for success is starting small. So that, you know, you don't get overwhelmed and that you Mm -hmm. can just have some initial successes. It's easier Mm -hmm. with a smaller garden. Mm -hmm. So then since we're talking about gardening, your new book, The Healing Garden, Cultivating and Handcrafting Herbal Remedies, you know, do you find that, you know, did did the inspiration to write a book based on gardening uh, come from maybe 
you know, finding that this is a great way for people to start learning about plants or like what inspired you to, to write the book? Hmm. I think I, I really wanted to write the book that I didn't find when I was first starting out. And, you know, I have so many great herb books that have helped me along the way and herb gardening books too, but I kind of just wanted them all in one. And I really do think a great place to start on your herbalism journey is with direct relationships with the plants themselves. And gardening is just one of the best ways to do that, to know that your medicine is really you know, comes from high quality herbs. And if you're making the medicine and paying attention, you can make really high quality medicine. And it's also, I think, just, you know, it's just a way to connect with the earth and the seasons and the plants and deepen your relationship and sense of place. And definitely now more than ever, we really need that medicine of connection to the earth and and to the plants and the elements and the seasons. So, uh, you know, we're listening to Juliet here. We're talking about, about gardening, and it makes me think of this little course that we have on, on Herb Mentor called Cultivating Wellness. Mm, such a good one. Yeah. And so if you're Herb Mentor member and you're inspired by this episode, definitely pick up a copy of Juliet's book. Healing Garden, for sure. And uh, this little course that we have there leads you through, uh, you know, has a garden plan and you can, uh, and through a permaculture perspective, uh, grow your first 13 healing herbs. And there's a whole list right there. Mm. So I think it'd be a good companion to, to Juliet's amazing work here. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's so clear and it just takes you through step by step. So it's really great for beginners, but also if you're more intermediate or advanced and you just want to brush up on mm-hmm. your skills. And of course, since you're on Herb Mentor, if you're growing calendula and a little bit learn a little bit more about that, you can go to the plan profiles. If you're having a question along the way, like, oh my gosh, there's aphids or, oh, what's good? My, my, the leaves are yellowing on my plant. Uh, go over to the forum, ask, ask people, ask questions and see if anyone else out there shares your challenges. I'm totally going to do that for yeah. my calendula plants. Yeah. <laughs> some of them, they keep on the leaves. They keep getting that like white powdery mildew. Mm-hmm. I need to see if anyone has any advice. So that's a great point. Well, it's all in the soil and the health of the soil. That's uh, what it comes true. So cultivating wellness helps you with that. And so all you have to do if you're interested in, in, in that and as when, why you're there at this little website I'm going to give you, you can also subscribe to Urbentor Radio. Just go to urbentorradio.com. Put it in your browser. Get subscribe uh, to this uh, on your on your podcasty feed thing, and then you could uh, your favorite <laughs> Technical one. Technical term. <laughs> there we go. And then you might find yourself uh, with a little special offer to join oh. us on Herb Mentor. And you know, it's like a dollar to try, and you can cancel any time, no risk. So it's your home. It's your home for herbal education. So, all right. You talking about all of this makes me think about, you're just saying, you know, when you were starting your garden, you started small and even though it was a flop, you just kept going, which is awesome. And I'm curious for folks who are just starting out, do you have any other tips besides starting small and how they can really get their hands in the soil and start their own garden? Yeah, I think the the first thing is to know what grows well in your area. 
So if you live in an arid climate, the herbs that are going to grow well for you are going to be different than if you live in like a really cold temperate climate or a Mm -hmm. moist subtropical climate. So finding out what grows well in your area. And one of the best ways to do that is just to go to your local farmer's market. And if there's anyone that sells herbs, like herb starts or cut even cut culinary herbs and just asking them what herbs do best in our area. Mm. And um, also other growers, you know, there's, if you're on Facebook, there's a lot of plant groups on Facebook. So you can join that and like meet other local growers and ask them. So that's the first thing, finding out which plants mm. do well in your area. And then I would say just to pick five of those and start with five mm. and to go to your plants every day, especially if you don't have a green thumb or you're just getting started. When I first started growing herbs, I only grew catnip and borage and echinacea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just would go to those plants every day and look at them and observe them. And, I, you know, I think that's really how you get a green thumb is yeah. just by paying attention to your plants. And if something doesn't look quite right, figuring it out, why they don't look healthy or vital or what you need to do. So that would be my suggestion. And if you um, buy my book, The Healing Garden, Mm -hmm. it comes with these online bonuses in the Mm -hmm. Healing Garden gateways where you can sign up. And we have these regional herb gardening profiles and they're written by the country's, some of the leading herb gardening experts and they list the best herbs to grow in each bioregion. So subtropical, arid climates, um, Pacific Northwest. So that's a great um, bonus if you buy the book, but you can also, I've got a ton of herb gardening resources on my blog, blog Castanea. That's another place to look. And then also seeing if you're extension office, your agricultural extension office, or your master gardeners in your region, they might have some information for you to find out which are the best plants for your area. So Juliet, when, you know, there's some some folks, like I remember one time when I, when I was living in an apartment, when my kids were little, uh, we had some containers outside and the only place I could grow anything, luckily it was kind of South and West facing. So we could we could, you know, plant, take some of our herbs with us be from between uh, properties that we were on. And so, you know, so some, so you don't need a plot of land. You can do container gardening, or maybe you have a little bit of land. So what are five, let's say five easy to grow herbs, because you mentioned five before, for container gardening, let's say that would work in that scenario. And maybe a little bit about why or about that herb. Yeah, that's a great question. So, Calendula is a great one to grow in containers, and uh, the British call it pot marigold, and that's in reference to it easily growing in pots. So that's one that I like to mix with. I'll I'll mix with chives or Swiss chard, mix it with a bunch of different plants. So calendula is super easy to grow, and you can harvest the fresh flowers all throughout the summer. If you keep harvesting them, it will keep producing. That's the secret to getting a good harvest from calendula. 
Um, if you miss harvesting the flowers for a week or a couple of days, go ahead and deadhead the seed pods mm -hmm. that are developing so that it does produce fresh flowers. And then you can use the, what most people call the petals. They're really ray florets, but the yellow petal looking structures, you can sprinkle those on salads and cakes and there's you know just no end to what you can do with that beautiful sunshiny confetti mm. and then you could pick the whole flower head and dry those and use those in your salves and creams herbal salves and creams and I infuse it into jojoba oil to make facial serum. So just a lovely anti-inflammatory and wound healer and antimicrobial herb. So that would be the first one. And then spilanthes or paracress is another herb that grows well in containers. And that one sort of likes to cascade off the side of a container. So you can plant in a hanging oh. basket. Or for instance, right now I have a really large, one of those big box planters that stand up. And I plant it on the outside of the box so it can cascade over the edge. And Spilanthe is just a great herb to grow, really um, fun one to make medicine out of. And I use it as an immune stimulant and anti-inflammatory. And uh, I'm sure y'all have tasted mm -hmm. it and <laughs> yes. know how tingly it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And that's one that you can harvest repeatedly throughout the growing season. So you can really get a lot of medicine from just a few plants, you know, like I would say maybe three plants could give you a quart of tincture or more and you get to harvest the medicine the first year you grow it because we grow it as an annual, it's a perennial plant, but most people in North America grow it as an annual. And then I would say holy basil is another one that a lot of people like to grow in containers and does really well in containers, depending on the variety that you plant. Some of them get really big, like Vana Tulsi or Vana holy basil, but holy basil, really easy to grow. Just pinch it back in the beginning when it's growing so it doesn't put its energy into flowering and instead focuses on leaf production. And that one, yeah, you can dry the leaves, you can make tincture of it, you can make pesto out of it. I have a recipe in my book for a basilicious pesto that Ooh. has different kinds of basil and holy basil in it. And um, yeah, I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the medicinal uses of Tulsi, but it's mm -hmm. just a really, like a lot of people just love to drink it daily to help them with anxiety and help stay calm and um, just a lovely nervine and adaptogen and yeah, helps with anxiety and we could have a whole, I'm right. sure you could have a whole podcast on the use yeah. of Tulsi. Tulsi. Yeah. So let's see those, that was three. I don't know. Do you want to hear more? Yeah. Should we go? Oh my gosh, We're yes, up to three. Please. We have to get to more. <laughs> Yeah, so yarrow is another one that grows well in pots. You know, a lot of people think of it just growing in the ground, but it it is because it does spread by runners. 
Um, so Yero will just sort of like spread indefinitely into a huge patch if you plant it in the garden. So planting it in a pot is the one way to sort of keep it contained. You can do the same thing with like bee balm or skullcap um, that are also runners. And yeah, just they're really beautiful feathery leaves. They're so pretty and they come up real early in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then we use the leaves for medicine. We use the flowers for medicine. You can even use the roots. So it's just got a lot of medicinal versatility and it'll really draw pollinators into the garden. But um, yeah, the leaves, really great for applying as a poultice directly onto wounds as an antimicrobial and to stop bleeding and as an anti-inflammatory. And the flowers I use a lot in um, cold and flu blends and tea blends. The flowers, the, the plant does have a really strong taste, quite a bitter flavor. So it's not one that I really enjoy in tea on a daily basis. <laughs> right, right. Totally. Uh, yeah, just more as needed for medicinal uses. And then the last one I would say is anise hyssop. So that's, yeah, one that I grow in containers every year and it's a short-lived perennial. So if you, I have it actually planted in window, like they're like window boxes that I have attached to the edge of my deck and those just come back every year. The plant will live sometimes maybe two or three years, maybe four, but it's a short-lived perennial. And if you pinch it back when it's first growing, just like you pinch back basil, the plant will like push out and produce more flowers. So if you're really wanting to enjoy the beauty of the flowers and to attract pollinators, you want to pinch the plants back I would say like three or four times when it's first growing. And anise hyssop's got a lovely licorice-y, minty flavor. And that's another name for the plant is licorice mint. Mm. And yeah, just this is one of those herbs that's really gentle and safe for kids, sort of in league with chamomile, mint, and um, just a real gentle sedative, good for colds and flu and tummy aches. So Definitely an herb to grow if you have children around, but you can also use the leaves in culinary creations. So I have a recipe um, in the Healing Garden Gateway for anise hyssop granitas, Mm. which is kind of like a homemade, easier to make form of sorbet. Oh my gosh. Um, So yeah, it just lends itself nicely to like ice cream or sorbet or cakes. Mm. And that's, you know, looking through the healing garden, um, just incredible because you might think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, learn what plants to grow and going to make a garden. But, you know, the bulk of this book is just so beautiful. And it's also mainly, you know, not just growing, but all such creative ways of using the herbs and so many you haven't seen before. Like I'm just landed on a calendula Tulsi chai concentrate. I mean, that sounds amazing. That's using two of the plants that we just talked about. Yeah. I just, yeah, the, the food as medicine, I think I've gotten more versatile as that too. We having a really picky daughter who like pretty early on 
said, I don't want to take herbs, but <laughs> she doesn't mind. Like uh, right now, actually, she's healing from an injury and she's 17, but, and she loves hibiscus lemonade. So I just like sneak in these wound healing herbs into her hibiscus lemonade. So, um, or just like, you know, sneaking in medicinal bone broths or sneaking in broths into her food, you know, when she didn't want to take, let's say she's not going to like when she was little, she definitely was not going to take mushroom concoction or, you know, astragalus calendula tea. But if I put astragalus and calendula into broth and then put it into the chili or the marinara that we were eating, then she would eat it. Mm. I love your creativity. And I, yeah, I'm these last few weeks, I've been, you know, perusing your book. And when I've been going to hang with friends and we have potlucks. I'm like, okay, what am I going to bring? I'll look through your book and figure out which drink recipe I want to make. And they've all been a hit. So oh, thank you. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, Love it's been so fun. <laughs> yes. You know, when people always ask like, okay, what's the one herb book I should get? This is definitely in the, in the top, in the Aww. top, in the top three, one herb books you should get. <laughs> oh, that's uh, wonderful. This is, this is amazing. Absolutely. It's <laughs> so nice to just have so much like really helpful technical information and you make it really simple, but it's so beautiful to like, just to have all that together. It feels like medicine in itself just to flip through Aww. the book. So thank you for creating this. My pleasure. It was really a group effort, you know, just mm -hmm. from the recipe testers to the like models and like the, the, my colleagues who work for the school, like just all the recipe development and yeah. So, but thank you. You know, I, I, I have been involved with the production of a few books and, and, um, you know, I know that it is a journey, you know, to go through it, like, not just like the work it takes or whatnot, but it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, 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 um, you know, healing work that happens in that. And I, when I think of you, Juliet, I often think about like healing journeys because you not that long ago, you faced a cancer diagnosis, underwent surgery. I imagine that was really stressful. So I'm wondering like, like the book, this process, you know, in addition to herbs, was this also part of, you know, the, the healing garden book? come from part, a big part of this healing journey that you've been on? Cause it's, it's a lot. Yeah. In 2016, I got the diagnosis. I had a thyroid nodule that had a questionable biopsy and that, you know, was anyone who's facing a serious health crisis knows that it can be so overwhelming to make decisions and sift through the information and do research, but not over research and mm -hmm. research from the right places. And then what do you believe and who do you believe? And can I treat this naturally or should I have surgery? And really, you know, I, I would say one of the best things herbs can offer us during this time is well, one, like a respite from all the thinking and decision-making in our garden, if we're blessed enough to have a garden, but even just time in nature to just take a break and be in a rejuvenating, replenishing 
environment, but I really relied on herbal nervines during that time mm-hmm. as I was navigating the like mal the medical decision. So for me, I took a lot of milky oats mm-hmm. tincture. And when I got nervous and I had to go, let's say if I had to go to the cancer center, I would pack in my bag um, tincture of motherwort and European vervain or verbena officinalis. And those herbs really helped me keep keep calmer. You know, I can't mm-hmm. say that I still wasn't nervous, but just feel more grounded and supported. You know, and, and I used a lot of other modalities too during that time as really getting regular acupuncture and um, meditating and yeah, doing a lot of different food therapies. Yeah, so I feel like the herbs really supported me during that time. And, you know, so I did choose surgery and I'm, I'm glad that I did because the cancer was starting to spread, but we caught it before it had left my thyroid. Um. And so I'm glad I made that decision. That's, you know, surgery and, you know, cancer decisions can be, you know, they're very individual Mm. and every situation and every person is unique. And I think too, I've, I've been blessed by other health challenges earlier in my life to know that in the past I've been very like I would say, and because I'm speaking about myself, stubborn about not wanting to go with conventional medical approaches like surgery or medication. And uh, yeah, I've gotten into some dangerous situations because of that dogmatic approach to healing. But, you know, this this is more in like being in my 40s where I did take more of a broader scope of my approach. And so anyway, yeah, so I did eventually choose surgery and I'm glad that I did because of the, you know, because the cancer was removed and I didn't have to go through further treatment. Okay, great. And then I used a lot of herbs to help me heal from that surgery. So I made big batches of bone broth ahead of time that had all different healing herbs in them and had different dried herbs like gotacola and calendula, mm-hmm. astragalus to help with healing. And then also nervines as I was tapering off the pain medication, then taking more of the nervine meds to help with the pain. And then I, you know, in my daily herbal practice and supplements, I definitely focus on herbs that are known antioxidant and known traditionally or through research to help with preventing cancer from recurring. So I, to that end, I eat raw, a lot of raw garlic Mm -hmm. and um, hibiscus every day is uh, in the summertime drink hibiscus every day and I put a lot of berries in my hibiscus tea um, to just up the bioflavonoids for their antioxidant qualities and then I also green tea is another one every day and fish oil and turmeric 
which I think are all some of the best herbs for helping to prevent cancer and help reduce the rate of recurrence. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. Because I feel like, you know, when we, when we get into gardening in our lives, the thing about the powerful part of the herb garden isn't necessarily the, the plants that you're growing, right? It's the process, mm-hmm. connection to nature. And also you start to develop, right, all these tendrils, all this mycelium that go out. And, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that perhaps allowed you to take, you know, have that agency for your health when you were in some sticky situations and, and you were able to, you know, you said, you know, there's acupuncture and then there was the herbs and then all these things. And that's really what it takes, doesn't it? Just a person's own healing journey. And, and I was wondering how you see that connected to a garden. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of us, our gardens are sort of like a safe space, a refuge or respite from like the stress of life. And, you know, often we we turn to our garden in the evenings when we're done with work or maybe on the weekend. So we just can sort of associate it with that downtime unless it's like, you know, a part of a business or a bigger enterprise. So I, you know, for me, I think having those quiet moments um, in the garden or just connecting to nature is really where I gain Mm. clarity. And I actually, I went to the hot springs when I was trying to figure out what path I wanted to take or what I wanted to focus on. And I went to the hot springs in New Mexico to Ojo Caliente, which I think that healing pilgrimages, you know, it's a, mm. it's definitely a, a privilege to be able to travel like that. But I feel like peoples all around the world have made different health p- pilgrimages to either healing waters or sacred sites. And, um, For me, that's been a big part of this healing journey is going to hot springs and really intentionally connecting to the earth, but also my ancestors Hmm. and just, yeah, cultivating like an open heart and humility and gratitude and just, you know, asking for guidance So that's something that can happen in someone's garden or if you're able to go even just going to a special spot in nature that really calls to your spirit. If you're, you know, facing not just a health challenge, but any big challenge in life and just going with an open heart and intention. Mm. Well, Juliet, thank you so much for sharing. And I just, when you talk about connecting with the plants, connecting with the waters, connecting with your ancestors, with this open heart. I'm just, I'm feeling you like sharing your connection with us too in this conversation Mm -hmm. and the open heart that you bring. And I'm just really grateful to- So grateful. Yeah, to get to share space with you in this way and to experience more of your medicine that already comes forth in your book and all of the, you know, all the writing that you do and all the classes that you make. So- Thank you so much for sharing with us. And I know you have so much medicine to offer in this world. So I'm curious, where can people connect more with you and your work? 
So as I mentioned, I have the blog, the blog Castanea, and then in our website too, just chestnutherbs.com, we have a ton of information for budding herbalists or experienced herbalists too. And then you can buy my book wherever books are sold. You can buy it from your independent bookstore. And if they don't carry it, you can ask them to order it for you or it's available online from, you know, all the big online sellers. And then sign up for the bonuses at the Healing Garden Gateway, which there's tons of videos and charts and free resources. So that's probably, and then, you know, we're on the Facebook and the Graham <laughs> and mm-hmm. all those places, Pinterest. Totally. So and and it's not it's not just me. There's a whole team of us. There's 13 of us right now. Mm-hmm. So wow, yeah, that's, that's where that's folks great. can connect with me and my team. And I'm gonna uh just point out to accentuate actually healinggardengateway.com. Um, you can link to get the book. That's a very clear places to where mm-hmm. to get the bonuses. So that's that's mm-hmm. the place to go, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to get that chart you were talking about before where the expert herb growers were saying which herbs to grow based on your region. I'm very excited about mm-hmm. that. So thank you for yes. you know, putting all that together with your team. Oh my gosh. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much to both of you um, for having me and yeah, for spending this time with me. I'm just, yeah, super appreciative of everything that y'all do for the herb world. And, uh, for likewise, all, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just love all the work you do, and you do such wonderful courses, everything. Everyone's grab a copy of the book, check out, check out Juliet's course. It's amazed, she's got great stuff, and, um, you know, Juliet, I really appreciate you being here and thank you so much for joining us on Herb Mentor Radio. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Mm, a pleasure. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Sound engineering by Zach Frank. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of Herb Mentor, your home for herbal education. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening.